Welcome to UberCube, the podcast where we discuss all things Cube, but with refreshments. This is your host, Anthony Adams, a.k.a. UberBear, and tonight we are joined by a special guest. Uh, hi, Chris Moore, otherwise known as Sandwich. And we have our amazing host. Yeah, I'm here. I'm your co-host, Magic May. Hello. And then we have our other host. Hey, it's Stu. And tonight, we're going to talk about, our, or we're going to continue our series on KubeCon by talking about Chris's Peasant Cube and the, basically the things that he learned, how he prepped for KubeCon 2023, and what changes and what, what feedback he received while you know walking around the floor, talking to players, introducing himself, learning about their thoughts on his cube, et cetera, and, and his overall experiences. And during this, we're going to deep dive in particular into two different archetypes that cross-pollinate with one another. And that's going to be the aristocrats, and that's going to be the persist combo, both within the rarity-restricted, uncommon environment. But before we go any further down this conversation, we're going to do the thing that we always do here at UberCube. We're going to enjoy our libations of the show. And since Chris is our guest for this evening, we're going to have him start out. What are you having this evening, Chris? I'm having just a little bit of this uh, Buffalo Trace. Uh, it's really, really good whiskey. I really do like it a lot. Yep. And I, too, I'm also having Buffalo Trace. And I hate to tell Chris, but... Once this bottle's gone, it's probably gone because this is exceptionally rare in North Carolina. For a matter of fact, I can't even get this stuff in Lexington. But you know where you can get it? Chicago on the way to KubeCon. And <laughs> well, I happen to have another bottle at home. Oh, well, there we go then. So we can make it a little bit. We have to make it till October of next year. There apparently. you go. And then May, what are you having for your libations for this evening? I am having another thing from Wilson's Orchard and Farm. This time it's Honeycrisp. And how about yourself, Stu? I am having myself a Saranac Caramel Porter. It's 5.4%, and it's delicious. This Buffalo Trace is decadent. It's very, like, uh, it's got nice caramel notes to it. Kind of oh, hard I got me a little snifty of Buffalo Trace as well. <laughs> All right, so let's get to the topic. So, Chris, give us, like, a 40,000-foot overview of the cube before we go just talking about what you did. Yeah, so the, the, this cube, I does, if you've listened to the previous episodes, it's basically just a very traditional peasant cube. I want just a basic experience that isn't too overpowered, isn't crazy or anything like that. I purposely left out certain power cards like Monarch and stuff like that. Just a lot of your basic draft archetypes are in there. You have aggro control and mid-range and everything. And as Anthony mentioned, we also have like the uh, the aristocrats. And the persist combo is a fun little thing I stuck in there. And no one's really ever pulled it off until I heard someone did it at KubeCon. So I thought that was really neat. So we got an early onboard on-deck curveball. As he says, slightly lower powered, I immediately latch into the persist combo. And here's something that's borderline tested in a lot of powered vintage cubes may not be the most successful but it's definitely hitting the peak of the apex there yeah it's mm. except it's really difficult to pull off you get like four or five card combo basically right 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 and there, we'll talk about that more in depth as we move through but i wanted to ask what was your favorite cube we're gonna before we even go into the details of your cube what was your favorite cube that you drafted while at kubecon 2023 
to me, it was a really interesting one. It was the reading rainbow cube. I thought that was a really fun one to draft. I drafted it completely wrong because I went in completely blind and I had no idea what I was doing. But once I figured it out, it was, uh, it was a really fun cube. It's one cube where you get a, uh, a land that taps for any color to cast multicolor spells. Everybody just gets one of those. And every card in the cube is multicolor. And, uh, it was a really fun, interesting draft casting cards that I've never, never played before. So it was really fun. May, would you say that's the best part of KubeCon, the ability to draft different cubes? Would you, would you have a similar experience? Oh, yeah. I didn't get a chance to draft the Reading Rainbow Cube, but I will be on my list for next year. And I'm glad that it was such a good time for you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Stu, did you have anything, any significant memories? We really didn't get a chance to talk to Stu after we left KubeCon. You know, I actually had a bit of an epiphany. I didn't do a whole lot of drafting in the main event. I was not feeling 100% and decided to spend a lot of time in the hotel, I will say. But I was kind of rewarded because I tended to have a pretty good record against Anthony in particular, um, as well as some of the other individuals that we traveled with. We did some drafting of Anthony's Two-Headed Giant Cube and Anthony's Power Cube. And uh, I drafted one of the most busted reanimate uh, Kikijiki combo decks that I've ever drafted in my life. So uh, my KubeCon was amazing. And I met some wonderful people, had some good food, some good drinks, good times. And I'll be back for 2024. Absolutely. Yeah, so Chris, back to you then, because uh, we're just expanding uh, Stu's win rate. Currently, it's like 4 to 39 at this yeah, point. Yeah. So, and, then, and the 4 is definitely Stu. Mm-hmm. But I, your mm-hmm. best experience while at KubeCon, <laughs> like an overall, what was the thing that was most memorable for you? Yeah, so one of the things that I heard about uh, secondhand was that Gavin from uh, from, from Watsi actually played my peasant cube, which I thought was really neat. Uh, not what I, not something I expected to hear. You know, I also heard you got some great feedback from Gavin. Like people said that he actually enjoyed it. So that's yeah, a big deal. That's yeah. a big deal. So that's it's a really well-crafted cool. cube. I mean, it's a lot yeah. of curation time been put in this cube. It's extremely well balanced. It's one of our favorites to play in the play group. It's cusping that idea of the raw powered of not quite a vintage cube, but it's got the feel, the power plays of it. So other than <laughs> other than that, was there any lessons, just top level lessons that you learned from KubeCon 2023 takeaways? Some of the lessons learned was you can't worry about what people are going to tell you. Some people are going to give you good feedbacks and give you constructive feedback. Other people, not so much. They're just going to give you, I don't like this. Uh, this is not good. And don't give you any, any good feedback. You just have to kind of put that behind you and not, not worry about those and just fo- fo- focus on the positives uh, that, that you get from people. Cause not everyone's going to like everything you're going to put in your cube. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these are very personal decisions when you're doing it, you're trying to build it so people can play it and have fun but a lot of the decisions are yours and you're not always right uh, obviously but the the takeaway is just just try to have fun with it and don't really worry about the negative and the naysayers yeah so it's kind of that kind of a follow-up question to that your preparation was it i guess like like mine was i was almost fervously adding things to my cube last minute decisions were you pretty calm cool and collected i I was i wasn't terribly worried about it i had already removed all what i consider to be the power outliers well before this uh, was even chosen uh so i i didn't really think about that too much there were a couple maybe that i was worried about one of them we will talk about in a little while and some that were pointed out uh 
fairly early on, but I ended up keep, keeping him in. So as May does a just absolutely pucker face from drinking the cider that I don't think she's in love with, that I want to throw a curveball at her. Were you in preparation to KubeCon, getting a cube? Were you anxious, adding cards last minute, not knowing if it was the right assortment before it was turned off? What oh, I f- had the unfortunate case that Wilds of Eldraine happened to come out, and, you know, that was... It was basically tailored for my cube. <laughs> Where it's also like, ah, there's so many things I want to throw in, but I can't throw in everything, or else it might disrupt the entire environment, so I just have to pick selective ones, and it's... Ugh. Yeah, but I think I'm actually. It all worked out in the I end. think I'm the reason why, or at least I believe in my own mind that I'm the reason why they did a cutoff date earlier than they did. Because last year, when Warhammer 40k came out, it was a last second thing too, right? And yeah. I'm I'm yes. emailing John Terrell, telling him that I have to add in some cards, and they haven't come in the mail, and what should I do? And it was literally just a couple of days before they're actually pushed cutoff at the time on on 2022's version of KubeCon. And, but those cards were significant. It really gave, as we talked about in numerous episodes, it gave black like a, a refreshed identity in the artifact cube. So I mm-hmm. kind of, ha- I understand the pain that she was suffering as woe came out because it gave so many pivotal cards to make her cube just home, right? But your, mm-hmm. yours is something that happened to you recently was you had a C- commander's master set come out. Oh yeah. Commander masters was awesome for the peasant cube. Yeah. But I had a, so a little bit more time. Exactly. I had so many good, uh, I had a lot of time to, to get that in there. There, there were several weeks in between and I didn't add all the downshifts, but I had the ones that I thought would fit my cube the best. So one that's a little off the topic, you know, or we're going to cover kind of the aristocrats package with peasant, but one of them was Gonti. And I oh, kind of yeah. wanted to know Gonti Lord of Luxury don't remember that card does verbatim. Gonti, he's a he's a two and two black. I think two three with death touch. I think it's two three. And uh, when he comes into play, target you look at the top four cards. They're exiled face down. You look at the top four of them and uh, pick one. And for the rest of the game, you can cast it by spending mana of any color. So is that a risk adding that to oh, a environment? Do you, do absolutely. you feel like it's matches your power your power band that you're trying yeah. to emulate within yeah, that cube it, environment? It, a lot of times it's going to do it once, maybe twice in a game. And in no way do I think that's backbreaking or anything. Uh, at this point, uh, I haven't received or seen it do anything too crazy at this point. So that's got to be like a, a real, it's Christmas, right? For curators that are mm-hmm. doing rarity restrictions to see downshifts. But I can also see that sometimes some of those downshifts have the potential to be toxic environment. You won't know yes. until you test it. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. But at the same time, the excitement level comes on because you see something that went from rare to uncommon and it's, you almost have to stop yourself from adding all those components, oh, realizing yeah. that, right? You have mm-hmm. to be really choice in that. I think that's something, would you agree that a rarity restriction cube kind of happens with it more often than not? Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll see it like master sets are are Christmas for for a rarity restricted cube in general, and you can't add them all. Like there's a lot that that, that were put in. One of them that I I thought about adding in was Rorik's Bladewing that went down to an uncommon, but I ended up not. Maybe it'll go in at some point, but it's, it has three red, which makes it harder to to cast. So that's why I didn't put it in. Because I actually do have a curveball question. In regards to power creep in recent years and how many sets nowadays just have such pushed cards, like especially with Ixlon that's been revealed, there's been so many like dinosaurs. Like we just straight up have a two drop three two in red with upside. And you begin to 
ask yourself within your environment, is this pushing the envelope in a way that you're wanting for your environment? Is it something that you're concerned about? I'm always concerned anytime a, a new card comes out, especially with a new mechanic that can just warp games. And sometimes uh, with a new mechanic, it, I look at it as to whether or not it's going to be like, you heard the term parasitic and, and things right. of that nature. I tend to shy away from things like that. One of them being like an old one, uh, like energy is an example of there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where the cards only work really with other cards that make energy. And mm -hmm. You might have one or two that can do the thing on their own with, with the thing that they do. And I, I really have to pay attention to that because you're right. A, a new mechanic can totally break something. Uh, it, it can break an archetype. It can make an archetype work too well, especially because I am trying to keep the power level a little flat. Uh, in, in mine, I'm not trying to spike it. I, one example is I played a peasant plus cube, uh, at the bar, mm. had an amazing time because I drafted just this disgusting Rakdos deck that just destroyed everybody. But it's running a lot of cards that I don't run in mine for, for that reason, because people will just spike a draft like that and just destroy everybody. Right. And I want everything to be kind of on a flat, even playing field. And I think, I think that kind of goes with what you're doing with, with your cube too, to, to try to keep everything kind of even all the archetypes work and new cards. You have to be really careful because they can mess that dynamic up. So I, I agree. You have to be careful when, 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 when putting new stuff in a cube, especially like there's the, like three, Three or four new mechanics in this new set, I think, or maybe two or three. I can't remember. Like Descend and uh, what's the other? They one? have one Scus that's Ascend, which Us is uh, <laughs> so it comes back, which is pretty neat. Uh, did you see that they added both of those? In well, there? Did they? There's I, I, I haven't paid attention. So yeah. flavorful. Oh yeah, I've been staring at this list all day. But yeah, there's a lot of introduced new mm -hmm. mechanics that if if you don't have sufficient density, they, yeah. they and they don't they're not robust enough to support other archetypes. There's that potential. For we kind of talked about the density stuff and when a new set comes out and how you make judgment calls. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that comes through playtesting, just yeah, like yourself and May, right? And mm -hmm. I would say that in the thematic environments that May and I run, in particular, most of them, our opportunity to imbalance our environments with a couple of keywords or a couple of cards is a lot, I think is easier than your environment mm -hmm. because you have a lot more platforms to look at and kind of, you can gauge it, right? You, it's your power spectrum is a lot more that, robust, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So it's a little cleaner. Whereas her and I, we can throw our kilter off pretty hard, right? We tip the scales by adding something wackadoodle. Yeah. I did, I, you mentioned energy early on. Mm -hmm. At one point, I actually tried energy out and it was, oh, did you? it was mm -hmm. a weird flop and or it was just parasitic and it didn't play well in the artifact that. cube. Mm -hmm. We did try it it just mm -hmm. didn't work right yeah i do so remember that now that that's was just a while an example ago. of those type things in a thematic versus these rarity restrictions which yours is i think is cleaner and runs smoother right it's a well-tuned machine right because i also i'm not depending on certain keywords like like there's a new cube I'm working on, which is exactly going to have that problem. The, the expansion of that Sultai cube that I have, uh, it's the same, same issue. I'm going to run into the same issue you're running into, May's running into, right. uh, where cards can throw everything off if you're not careful. But it's okay. You get through reps and play testing. That's what May and I talked about and getting feedback, you know, and having the constructed criticisms, things like KubeCon, these cubes come out better. And I think that's a big takeaway. Oh, 100%. Another question that I had for you is, was there any particular cards that you know of? Cause I know you moved around the room that were perhaps red flagged yeah one one was brought to my attention and it was one from 40k which uh 
when I put it in, it didn't seem all that bad because, you know, it was a four drop, but, uh, you know, I, I guess I didn't really think about it. I just needed a Simic card. I was Trigun Prime. It's a two and a green and a blue. And it has this thing called Subterranean Assault. It says when it attacks, put a counter on it and a counter on it up to one other target attacking creature. And that creature can't be blocked. So this thing becomes a five, five on attack and it makes another thing bigger. And I was basically told this thing is a kill on sight, no matter what. Uh, you have to kill it, otherwise it will kill you. And I just hadn't really thought about it. it has never come up in, in our meta at all. And, uh, you know, that was really great to hear. So I'm kind of thinking whether it should stay in or not at this point. Yeah, I would agree yeah, with that. Yeah, that card's really cracked. It uh, yep. feels like it's a very, very powerful card in a peasant environment. And when you have something that just makes itself and something else unblockable mm-hmm. and scale... That it just can get out of control really yeah, fast. And I, I four men is not a big ass no. Simic. I think I really just wanted something to pull someone into Simic because not many people wanted to play Simic because there just wasn't enough there. There's plus one plus mm. one counters, which this fits the theme. So I thought, great, we got something new and a, a cool little tool. And, uh, you know, I just wasn't really considering that part of it. And May is absolutely right. This card is, is very good. It's on the same axis for me as Kappa Cannoneer. Yeah. It looks a lot like that, plays a lot like it, where it caught me off guard too. When yeah. it entered the battlefield, it put a counter on itself, it became unblockable, it did all the things, it emulated the same idea. Although this is more color restrictive, it literally almost said that minus the ward portion, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it feels a lot like Kappa Cannoneer. So I think, I think that that is a fair assessment to put this on a watch list, if not maybe consider. Yeah. I, I was given the, uh, the shark to crab as a potential, uh, re- replacement for it. That kind of does the plus one plus one counter thing, but also isn't as busted. So yeah, I would agree uh, with that I'm 100%. considering that one. Yeah. So May, would you mind leading the questions as we move over? We're going to get kind of, we're going to drill down the topic. That's the top level of Chris's experiences, uh, which we got some pretty solid feedback there. It was a lot like May and I's and both Stu's where we just got this wonderful constructive feedback coming back to us. The players are welcoming people enjoyed our environments. Chris got to be featured. It was just an exciting event all around, but now we're going to kind of deep dive and tunnel into, I guess, a couple of the packages that Chris highlighted were other or rather other players had said that these were quite quite yeah. amazing in this environment. May, would you mind leading these questions, please? Absolutely. So with your in specific regards to your Mardu Aristocrats package, mm. what was your player feedback on its performance? Uh, I know I talked to at least a couple different people that said they did very well either two one or three owed with the Mardu Aristocrats uh deck. Just, just the sacrifice and the ability to drain is, is really what did it, uh, for them. I, I can't wait to see the actual deck lists and the, the photos and everything. Cause I don't think that they've given that, they've given that yet as, as of recording no. this. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing each person's draft from, from that and what, what they took and what they didn't. I'd like to see what the 3-0 deck was through each of the, uh, pods and everything like that. Cause that, that will be the biggest help right there. Mm. So the next question I have for you is what worked and what didn't within this package? Well, right now I'm that goes back to that question. I don't have all the answers for that. I talked to some people, but didn't get the full picture on that. So I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have a a huge answer for that. Uh, I do know that like Sir Conrad was quite good. Uh, (laughs) What's cool about the aristocrats package is that a majority of the good cards in aristocrats were already uncommon, Mm -hmm. but recently getting Judith, the Judith was a huge package. And, And that's why 
I cut one of the the major packages, the Mayhem Double. I, I cut that for Judith because I think Judith is actually a little better because it makes you it, it puts the aggressive side on it too because it gives all your creatures plus one plus zero. Oh what does Judith mm. do exactly? Uh, Judith is a one black red legendary creature, human shaman two two. Other creatures you control get plus one plus zero, oh, and whenever a non-token creature you control dies, it deals one damage to any target. Non-token, boo! Yeah, that is kind of stinky, <laughs> but we have lots of other cards that, that can handle those tokens for you, so it's quite all right. So, Chris, would you mind taking the... So, we've talked about... There's an Aristocrats episode that Stu and I did early on before May was part of the show, and uh, if you want to listen to that, give it a whirl. It's not our best work, but it was our work all the same, right? We covered some of these, but since then, there's been more additions, and I would say that Chris's list is even more robust than the list that I provided during that particular episode, because... Because I was keeping it like the highest tier of aristocrats and trying to make a package that could go into not a powered vintage, but maybe a vintage environment for a top scale because yeah. it can work in that, but it works exceptionally mm. well. It's one of my favorite archetypes to draft in this environment. Would you mind just kind of giving an overview of some of these components and reading some of these cards to give the people that have peasant cubes in particular an idea of what? Yeah, might of work? course. So, of course, everyone knows that the, the aristocrats package is basically just sacrificing creatures for fun and profit. That's basically the whole idea. You want to produce a whole lot of little dudes like little tokens. So the, the cube has lots, lots of little token makers. Uh, also just lots of little recursive creatures as well that, and some with persist as we talked about with the persist combo. So you can sack them twice. Uh, and it utilizes a lot of the engines, which may mentioned were already uncommon or common. Uh, very few of them were actually rare. Uh, Judith was one of the exceptions initially, of course, because she, she was rare, but you have like your blood artist, which, and, and Zillaport cutthroat. Those are like the classic duo that, uh, you know, they each kind of do the same thing. They're, they're one ones or an O one in blood artist case for one and a black. And they each kind of, when a creature dies, you drain an opponent for one life and you gain a life. They're a little different. The blood artist is for each creature on the battlefield and you can actually, uh, yours and your opponents where Zulaport cutthroat only is your creatures. Uh, so there is a difference there, but in a one V one, it's not, it's not as big a deal. I would say the um, difference between the, the two particular, and I enjoy them both very mm-hmm. much. Zulaport can at least be a viable attacker, right? That's yes. always a plus, yeah. right? Whereas blood artists is, well, things have gotten really bad. And I'm going to block on my zero one, right? Yeah. Or, or it's a mass board white payoff. Yeah. That's a lot of times what can happen with these. So as he's developed this package, he's made it so that you're not looking for the opponent to, or yourself to blow up all the board and go for that massive exchange of life win, right? Yeah. You're really wanting this to be incremental damage. This mm-hmm. is the pain train. This is a slow, yeah. slow grindy kind of it is. archetype, but it's Which very is why effective. it doesn't work in a powered environment because it's too slow. It gets it's outraced. It'll slow. get outraced by five or six life sometimes. Oh, I, I've, I've tried it. I've yeah. pushed it. May, have you ever experimented with any uh, aristocrats idea or considered it in the fake cube, that concept at least? Uh, I have. I've been more cautious about it just because what makes aristocrats strong, there's not a lot of gray area. It's either really good package or it's just kind of an okay package just to use the cards that would have died anyways. Yeah. So then you've got something that integrates that I'm a huge fan of is like, and we've talked about this before, and you've got that sick secret lair art is Sir Conrad the Grim. Now, if this, you've ever Great seen card. a pushed, if you've ever seen a pushed uncommon card. Oh, yeah. Or even if you're a commander player, this is miserable to play against. It There's is. so many reasons why people like groan. And I added this to Uber Bear's Horror Cube even before the con. Yeah, I was just going to say the card that I was a little disappointed that's not in this environment is Dreadhound. Deadhound? Whatever. 
I'm not 100% sure what that does. Midnight Hunt. <laughs> it is four black black for a creature demon dog. Six six. And when it enters the battlefield, you mill three cards. Whenever a creature yeah. dies or a creature card is put into a graveyard from a library, each opponent loses one life. That's I love good. this card a lot yep. because it feels like it's the perfect partner card for Sir Conrad. Yeah, I didn't actually consider that one. That one's actually pretty darn cool. I do remember looking at that card, but th- I saw the six mana and th- that that kind of scared me away from it. Uh, that that mm-hmm. that's part of the issue because uh, I don't have a, a whole lot at the top end uh, of the black. Uh, there is some there, obviously, because we do have a, a small reanimator package uh, f- f- for that for some of the bigger cards. But yeah, that's that's a card I would consider because it, it is it this. is a six six so that that actually makes a big that's, difference that's a beater and it really yeah. ties in. and sir conrad being the five four that's yeah. now that she said that that's that's kind of uh chocolate peanut butter a little bit i like it that is, right yeah because sir conrad's a legendary creature human knight five fours i just said whenever another creature dies or a creature card is put into a graveyard from the anywhere other than the battlefield or a creature card leaves your graveyard sir conrad the grim deals one damage to each opponent and then you can pay one colorless one black each player mills a card now that she's mentioned what was the name of that card again may dreadhound you can see where that that's pretty good synergy that's pretty good synergy yeah it works out pretty well together the problem is it one's five one six if i'm gonna curve right into those two i'd be happily curve into that (laughs) idea sounds horrible 11 11 damage on the board that's punishing you it's potentially bad yeah i agree (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely good good feedback thank you may i appreciate that i like that i like that it's a spooky card it is it is absolutely i remember the art now too i'll have to look at that for my uh, Mm -hmm. horror cube as well that's interesting that's one i overlooked uh this next one though is a really cool one it's from 40k Mm -hmm. and and i remember when this came out these are the cards that maybe peasant curators potentially overlooked some of these are standard bearers right Mm -hmm. we got blood artist and zulapork cutthroat and if you're running those then they're kind of expected this one's interesting. Would you mind covering this one? Yeah, it's the it's from 40K, and it's a Sanguinary Priest. It's three colorless and a black for a 2-4. And it is, and oh God, it's some kind of A-word a cleric. I can't pronounce it from here. Uh, Lifelink, and it, it has, <laughs> and it has whenever a creature you control dies, Sanguinary Priest deals one damage to any target. So it kind of works like, like Judith does, but uh, in this case, any creature, the token clause is not in there. So it's kind of nice, and uh, I actually think I replaced the uh, 2-2 Flying Vampire that's kind of like Blood Artist uh, that costs the same. I but I that. thought this was better being a 2-4. Uh, you know, it helps gum up the ground a little bit. And it, that lifelink is It great. goes into combat really well, and yep. it also blocks exceptionally well with that 4. It really exactly. probably is a menace to aggro, I think, in this environment. At least it, it is. It's, yeah. it's killing that payoff that they're looking for with those fast Savannah Lion-type cards. Yeah, in, right? but that's why we have cards like uh, Flame Slash and stuff to help right. with stuff like mm-hmm. that. because. Yeah. So this next one's a, I've got a huge, I'm a huge fan of, mm-hmm. and it's Bastion of Remembrance. Uh, I just love everything about this card. And for two colorless and one black, you get an enchantment. Let me pause there. How difficult is it to deal with enchantments in a peasant environment? Is it's, something it's not, that not that difficult. Yeah. I, I've put in enough tools in there, I believe, to help take care of these problems. Uh, you know, and this would be a problem, but yeah. we do have ways to deal with them. We have ways to destroy permanence, ways to destroy all those, all those kind of things. So when Bastion Remembrance enters the battlefield, create a 1 1 white human soldier creature token. Whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life. 
and you gain one life. For me, I originally ran this new Bears Horcube, but I cut it for the Meat Hook Massacre. But yeah. I kind of see those as strange. Like, I know they're not on the same power spectrum, but they're almost analogs mm-hmm. in their concept and how they work. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, it goes, it slots right into an aristocrat's deck. If you, if you have this, it even gives you a little body to, uh, you know, have it die for you. So, and what's neat about that card in particular is it to me, kind of like with the Singinary Priest. And I'll even say Sir Conrad, those are kind of standalone-ish, right? Like if you're doing Blood Artist mm-hmm. and Zulaport, you're committing to the bit, right? Yeah. But you can run Bastion Remembrance and just splash it in any deck and yeah. just get the payoffs, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to be that's what's neat about these components overarching anyways, right? Yeah, I mean creatures are gonna die. So you yeah. might might as well might get some like benefit from it. Because your creature density in a peasant high. is is huge, right? Mm-hmm. What was the total count? Dude, you have top. a total creature count of 239 creatures. Yeah, there you go. So that's more almost that's more than half the cube right there. Yeah, so is. you've got a significant opportunity for the aristocrats' payoffs to hit a lot harder in these lower powered environments, right? Mm-hmm. And you think do you think that that's a reason also why why this is not a high performing not only the speed of it in the vintage environment, maybe the creature density has come down as well too. Now, with, with Wizards printing making creatures better, the density is probably yeah. much higher than it used to be uh, way sure, back sure. when. Sure, in recent history, so, but yeah. by comparison, you're running 239. Well, you're running the, 50% the, of Right, the but the, the issue with, with, with a power cube environment, your spells are better. And you, you have planeswalkers. You have all these extra things that don't exist in this, this peasant environment. Right. You have planeswalkers, but yeah, they're two, not very two good. Two of them, yeah, they're not yeah, very they're, good. They're not great. You know, it's like they're, they're uncommon, so... So this next card is also, to me, uh, just a fascinating card that you've added recently. And the reason why you called this a Mardu package is because you do have some crossover here. It goes into the Orzov, goes into the Rakdos, and then Mono Black with a little little bit of splash of Mono Red. But that's kind of where this package forms up. Would you mind taking this next one, Chris, and explaining how you added this? Yeah, it's Ellis Ilkor, the sadistic pilgrim for a white and a black. You get a 2-2. Death Touch. It's a legend, Phyrexian core cleric. And uh, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. That's kind of nice. Whenever another creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life. So this was a recent addition. I, I had Cruel Celebrant in before this, which did pretty much exactly, I think, what Zulaport Cutthroat did. But this one just gives you a better body for the same cost and does kind of the same thing. Sort of. It, it, it doesn't that, drain that, that on death, death. That death touch really yeah. just mm-hmm. sets you up to, for, or yeah. it just losing it. It's, it's a nice little rattlesnake. Nice little rattlesnake, rattle yeah. yep. May, would you mind taking this next one? I think you would be a fan of this card, and I love it too. So, I've actually never seen this card outside of this environment, so this really? is actually This is me. a popper staple, at least in my mind it is. It's in my popper cube. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love this card. And if you're not running this in popper, and it fits peasant as well. Hissing Iguanar which is two in a red creature lizard 3-1. And whenever another creature is put into the graveyard from play, you may have it deal one damage to any target player. And that is just a really cool card in 1v1s. And I'm surprised that I haven't seen it before. It feels like a more fair mayhem devil in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And and it reads now whenever a creature dies, of course, uh, the new wording. But yeah, it's very good. It works real good in my... um, It is... These one of the sole aristocrat style cards in a pauper environment. There's not a whole lot of mm. things that deal a damage when stuff dies. That's one of the few. And uh in in a pauper environment, the sacrifice deck is more about buffing a creature, making like a thing a four four or buffing a an Antuku husk or something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But it's also like got a really, that 3-1 has, it's a very aggressive body. 4-3 yeah. yeah. in a popper environment in particular. I, I would say of this package, when I was overviewing your list, if I were going to curate and make a cut, that would be the one that would be on the cusp. Just because it was the odd duck. When I looked at your reds. It is an odd duck. I agree. When, yeah, when I saw your reds, mm-hmm. it was the older card of the set where it didn't do as much. So I think if you find something better, that of one's an opportunity. But for I now, totally agree. For now, yeah. it's a fantastic placeholder. Mm-hmm. And it does something. But definitely in a popper environment, it just gives you that slow incremental. You're not really, you're upticking and just trying to get, because like, that's a very creature points driven type yeah. of environment. Yeah. Right? So, if you've got Hisigiguana in there, what is Phoresis in here? And if not, why not? Well, Stu, you're going to have to explain to me what Phoresis is, first of all. So, first of all, Phoresis is an enchantment, one in a black, and you get to give a a creature infect. Yeah, I don't have any infect in any of my... uh, Uh, (laughs) My power cube has one infect creature. (laughs) I'm I'm a bit of a fan of infect, but I can probably see why it would be... Unfun. Well, also, most of the creatures are terrible that have infect. They're all like little one ones and two twos. I would argue that that would be terrible in here as well because you're not really going to put an enchantment here that's really only going to be good on something like kissing iguana. Yeah, you're not running invigorate or anything like but that. Maybe in the, in like the this. future. Uh, <laughs> this is normally the part where uh, Stu tells you to add Oko to all your cubes. I know. Well, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Free> Oko. <laughs> And then we've got this really cool one that I'm a huge fan of because I also run this in Uber Bear's Horror Cube. And it's, it's for me, my little splash of devils that I have. But in this case, it's Spiteful Prankster. For two colorless and one red, you get a 3-2 creature devil. As long as it's your turn, Spiteful Prankster has first strike. Let's break that down for a second. That really plays into an aggressive body. Everything about that says that you want to go into combat. That's the different, for me, that's what makes this card so uniquely different opposed to like the blood artist that are really just waiting for the mechanic sacrifice, you know, options to happen. Right. Yeah. Whereas this card is also is very much inspired to go into combat. And then it has the rest of this text. Whenever another creature dies, spiteful prankster deals one damage to target player or planeswalker, which isn't flavor text in your queue because you do in fact have two of them. So there may be some reasons as to you might want to use that. But in the case of my horror cube, this just fit all my flavors and everything I was looking for. And it's literally a devil lighting a dove on fire, pitching it, which is just hideous and disturbing all in itself. So I love everything about this card. And I like the fact that it's, aggressively built yeah i i really like this card it works well in the environment and uh may yeah i just wanted to say that what's interesting about this card is that it is the perfect example of how power creep might affect your environment where it took a card that was just kind of okay-ish before and now it's actually going to be a threat in that slot and that is the difference of how much text gets added onto creatures nowadays compared to what they used to if you put that in comparison with Iguanar. like hissing Iguanar, exactly. Right. Yeah. They're the same cost. One's a three two, one has first strike. One yeah, it's I agree. It's the difference from Alara to a uh, jump start. So. Yep. My only real issue with this card is I don't believe there's a foil of it, and that kind of ticks me off a They're little bit. They're definitely one hundred percent not because I've been seeking it, <laughs> yes. It's amazing. 
So we kind of kind of breezed upon it. But we talked about, and it was in my list, but I'll, it'll be in my show notes as well. I talked about Mayhem Devil, but mm-hmm. you, and Mayhem Devil, for those that aren't familiar, is for One Colorless and Rakdos, Creature Devil 3-3. Three, three. Whenever a player sacrifices a permanent, Mayhem Devil deals one damage to any target. But you said you recently cut it because you wanted Judith? Yeah, I wanted to try Judith out, and so far Judith has been phenomenal. Uh, people heavily draft that, no matter what, even if you're not really the the sacrifice deck. This deck, this kind of needs to be in a sacrifice deck to be effective. I'm not saying it's a bad card it is really good but i only have so many slots and and judith just fit fit a little better it's also the difference between just being in a peasant environment compared to everywhere else and that context really matters Mm -hmm. is that in a lot of environments you're going to have things like fetches or things that sacrifice that people just have or nowadays with how much treasures now map tokens got added clue tokens etc that there are so many things that players sacrifice without being in an aristocrat's deck is that mayhem devil really punish those versus in a peasant environment a lot of those good cards just don't exist here in the way that it does in other environments because like what pitiless plunder i think is the biggest one that i can think of yeah and i don't even think i run him anymore or if i do i can't remember um if if he's in there or not uh he, he was yeah, I, I honestly don't remember. It's been a little bit since I looked at the list. No, but, you don't remember um, anymore. Yeah. The huge I, variance here is that Mayhem Devil punished as Stu stated based on tokens. So it does kill some of those strategies incidentally. Yeah. But then you get that optional plus one that where Judith plays into the aggro strategy. Yeah. So it's kind of pick your poison type of situation. Yeah, and right? I, I wanted, I think Judith is, it, these are both signpost cards. I, I think they're both definitely signposts, but I wanted, and it doesn't mean Mayhem Devil will never go back in. Uh, it just means for now, Judith is going to be the, the basically the, the main Rakdos card that, that handles all the uh, aristocrats. I would stuff. say that Judith encourages combat, kind of yeah. like the prankster did, right? And like I, you, I, I like that. It's a different type of aristocrat. Yeah. Even the Hissin Iguanar, even though it didn't do for itself, the 3-1 right. body was something that you weren't, just sitting back hoping to block no. like with a blood artist. That's where these cards kind of take a different tier on each of them is some of them are just waiting for the thing to happen. Other ones are just getting in there. Mm-hmm. Right. So Judith really encourages the get in there part. Yes. Even makes your blood artist hypothetically a one, one for the attack. Worst yeah. case scenario. Right. Yeah. Whereas mayhem devil is very parsed to that scenario. Right. So I'm sure people are thinking about that. That's a hard decision because of all the token generation like mm-hmm. maps. And we get this, plethora of tokens so oh, yeah. there are different opportunities with these cards depending on yeah your design and i'm not list. saying it won't become more and more won't become better in the future and it might it might become the point where mayhem devil needs to go in because of all the there's a bunch of treasure generation and everything uh but like but like she said uh there's no fetch lands in, in here there's you know it makes it not as easy to uh set it up where you can use this thing more effectively correct i agree with that Speaking of tokens sacrificing and aggressive cards, let's talk about the first card that we wanted to highlight in Gut, True Soul Zealot, my beloved. And it is a legendary creature, Goblin Shaman 2-2. Whenever you attack, you may sacrifice another creature or an artifact. If you do, create a 4-1 black skeleton creature with menace that's tapped and attacking. And choose a background, which is just flavor text. In this yeah, absolutely. But- this card is a kill on sight. Uh, one of those ones, it's one of those ones that almost is 
is too good because uh, it, it can just close out games on its own. It is just it's a little too too. Uh, yes. Uh, and I have definitely killed, killed people with this card. And this is um, an interesting little anecdotal fact. Uh, Lucky Paper recently did a really amazing episode where they talked about accessibility. Mm-hmm. And this came up during the draft because uh, we talked about in a previous episode, May and I, where I sat in my own cube and watched to get drafted. And as these cards are going around, someone paused and goes, what is... Uh, Choose a background and why do I care? And then, of course, it, it wasn't a big deal, but they're like, yeah. yeah, it's just flavor text. But it really correlates into the episode. So I highly recommend everybody check out the episode. It was fantastic by LPR. Okay. They cover like these additional flavor texts that get tossed in these cards and how they can throw off new players. So I totally agree with that. Uh, yeah, yeah. If, at least there is reminder text on there that does help a little bit but yeah. not all the time but yeah getting back to gut gut just it really slots well into the mardu aristocrats theme because you are sacrificing a thing you are damaging people you're draining life you're creating a four one with menace that can kill almost it's anything it's a scary card yeah it's and crazy i might have the hot take here but i actually think that this is one of the scariest ravel masters in terms of ceiling that yeah. we've ever seen because like, you can other rival masters yeah. are great because they do their thing without needing other pieces, but gut ceiling is just so high. Oh yeah, you sacrifice one of those little treasures or a clue token. Gut doesn't even have she doesn't even have to attack for it to trigger, and it's crazy that you don't even have to put put her in danger to even make if that you get four it one. Once you still got a two two and a four one. Right, you get six <laughs> power. <laughs> and these are it's different. So good. These are different than like when we kind of use blood artists as our baseline of it. Kind of sits there waiting yeah. to receive for the thing to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got mm-hmm. your static idea of certain cards where it says sacrifice creature, and then the plus one plus one equals two, and then the thing happens. Gut is a card that gets into combat. And kind of really coalesces so nicely with some of those aggressive aristocrats like we talked about with Judith and whatnot, right? Where you're mm-hmm. you're getting into that combat exchange. You're not sitting there playing that incremental, which I do love, the pain train slow, you know, tick, 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 tick one, tick two, mm-hmm. or mass board wipe type, right? These are a completely different type of spectrum of aristocrats. Yeah, this wants to end the game fast. Yeah, if you run this with Judith, you make five ones. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, you're running the clock much quicker. So I like that a lot. It's a good choice. There's another card here that's come up oftentimes as I think everybody has flagged this as watch listy, and it's fantastic, but it's because of the aspect of it doing the thing for free. And this does play into that where I said you're going to have the Blood Artist on the field and you can get an instantaneous payoff, and that's going to be Goblin Bombardment. Oh, yeah. For one colorless and one red, you get an enchantment. Back to the original thing I talked about. Mm -hmm. Can we deal with this in your environment? Sacrifice a creature. Goblin Bombardment deals one damage to any target. Yeah, it's extraordinarily strong. Uh, It fits right into any sacrifice deck, any aggressive deck, too. It's not just the sacrifice deck that wants this card. If you're trying to go wide with tokens, you want this card. If you're trying to just win with a Boros deck, you want this card. Uh, Because it helps close out the game. It helps. Sometimes you can't get that last few, three, four damage, but this can do it, and it'll, it'll help you out with that. And as I flag this card, I red flag it, right? Because we know that this is a powerful card in mm-hmm. a rarely restricted cube and i'm not going to tell you to remove it no. because it also it plays so nicely into the persist combo and we're going yeah. to talk about that as we move along right it's actually an integral part but may would you mind taking on this next one that also plays in that idea too the free portion of getting the uh, i guess the sack to get the engine going from the aristocrats sure 
Next one, we have a classic, which is Carry On Feeder, which is a one black, one one zombie. Can't block, but you can sacrifice a creature to put a plus one, plus one counter on it. And there is no caveat on it. It's just you can sacrifice a creature whenever you want, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. And the fact that this is just a one mana investment that grows is huge. It can get out of control very, very quick. It's especially good when you have things that overlap, like one of the popular combinations with it was like Martitian Beetle for constructed play. Yeah, yes. I, I, I know what you're talking you're not about. Running it yeah. here. No, I, I that one actually I think was downshifted to common and it's been on the kind of maybe list, you know, but it just never really I did run it briefly, but it didn't do a lot. That that was the only thing with it. It just mm. didn't do do enough to, to to be effective. Yeah. I was just gonna say that that is the difference between constructed and limited Absolutely. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, oh this is a great high synergy piece. But only the thing that only the sacrifice decks would want it here. And but carry on feeder, I feel like that that's already just a, such a good card on its own because similar to the goblin bombardment, you just ensure your damage. Yeah, you, it's a very aggressive card and aggressively costed, and it works well even in a non aristocrats deck. Has it ever been mm-hmm. like on the watch list? It meaning which card? Uh, carry and feeder. I, I'm going to no. say I think carry and feeder is maybe. I mean, it's an S-tier sack outlet. I yes, mean, It has agreed. the ability to go bananas. And I'm just interested to know, during all the years, if this has ever been a card that you've looked at and thought maybe is a little bit on the too powerful side? No, it's... That's it, awesome. It's been very good in any time anyone's resolved it and cast it, of course. But sure. it has never, like, been so bad that anyone's complained about it. This, this, I've never heard anyone complain about. Oh my god, I lost to that carrion feeder. That is just that's those sentences. That, that sentence never happened. Challenge accepted. Okay, great. No, I've one hundred. I look forward to I've it. One hundred percent complain, but I do that about most cards. So you do that about anything, <laughs> Anthony. <laughs> that is true. All right, I'm going to take the next one because this one is a bit Go of a favorite me. of mine. This is a recent rarity. Yes, shift, it was. And this is Yeheni Undying Partisan. Two colorless and a black for a legendary creature. Aetherborn Vampire. It's a 2-2 with haste. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on Yeheni Undying Partisan. Sacrifice another creature. Yeheni gains indestructible until end of turn. The fact that you can sacrifice another creature to give this creature... Indestructible and the additional ability and the fact that it's got haste and the fact that it can grows... It's pretty nuts. It's a very, very powerful card uh, in, in a peasant environment. And what are you looking yeah. at? Like To me, this looks like pretty much a finisher, right? You're yeah. looking at it. You're looking yeah, at ways, you, you, right? You want a clear yeah. board. You want ways to be able to just dump a bunch of mana, resources, whatever, clear clear the opponent's board, grow your Yeheni. Fine, if I have to sack a creature to give it indestructible, mm-hmm. I'm just getting a much bigger and bigger creature. And pretty cheap to cast as well. Like a 2-2... With haste for only three mana is pretty strong in the environment. Yeah, I mean, considering we went from a rare to an uncommon, it's of course going to be a, a little more pushed than, say, your regular run-of-the-mill uncommon. That that's what, I'm not saying there haven't been very powerful uncommons printed, but this one, so far, it's kind. Of, I'm watching it, but so far it hasn't been anything that's too crazy at this point. Yes, it's a powerful card. Yes, it's something you have to deal with, but also the peasant cube also contains exile effects. So you know there, there's there's plenty of those running around that that can help with that. Doesn't mean they're going to have it every time. They're not. But, did you just you know. use the it dies to remove? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> because I I know I don't know if it was it's this not a environment, great, but no. I do know that we've had groans. This one for me. I, hang on, hang on. Let me stop you there. Not dies to remove removal dies to exile that's an even lower bar yeah so (laughs) i would i would be curious this one's i think you're gonna get our first pushback and i'm gonna get maze 
I want to see how many decks this one appeared in in your environment. In this yeah, I'd love to see that. We, we already know guts huge, right? If I had that with something like Yahini, I'm going bananas. It's yes. gonna be hard to lose that game. Uh, May, what are your thoughts on that? So, out of your 450 cards, you currently have one, two, three, four ways to get rid of it, as far as I can see. Swords to Plowshares, Path to Exile. Yeah, there's probably a couple others. I can't, I can't, I'm uh, not cast sure. out and then dismember. And dismember has a very limited amount of time to deal with the situation yeah. as well, right? Yeah. 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 It's a scary card. It, it is a very scary card. I'm not saying it's not overpowered or very powerful. It's not something that it's on a watch list. It is. It's, it's I, like I knew this was going to be a powerful rare. card when I put it in. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, yeah. I will say with the context of this environment, until you get the stats, I wouldn't say cut it. Oh, I'm not. I don't plan to. I, I'm totally. I think it's a, the yeah. perfect card for this type of environment. Yeah. Because once you're getting to three, then you start getting into the cards where either you're trying to get. How do I put this? You're either putting this into like an aggro deck and you're trying to use this to close, or you're using it part of the Sir Conrad and a bunch of aristocrats cards type deal. Yep. And even then, you're not getting like the full value out of it because you're not getting a bunch of plus one plus encounters unless they are also getting rid of things. But my point is, is that even though your removal is not very dense to actually answer this thing outside of counter spells, obviously, but I would say that when it comes down, it even gives immediate value. But every time that they try to remove it, you have to sacrifice something to keep it up. Right. It's not like you get free. It's not a free indestructible. You have to, you have to do something to get it. And, you know, a lot of times the way to deal with Yehenny is to deal with everything around Yehenny. And, uh, that, that helps you get rid of his ability because he doesn't get the counters if their st- if your stuff dies. Like, uh, if right. you're, it's only when your opponent's stuff dies. So, you know, it, to me, it's, it's, that, it's been fine. That I is haven't. The strategy <laughs> as to how I like, killed her in your environment yes. is because we did match up with this and we did have a match where I know one of our players in our group got salty around this card being there because it was wrecking them, but they may not have realized the strategy when you don't have the exiles is what he said is I killed everything around it. I took away my removal spells did not ever point to Heaney. I'm going to force you to sacrifice your stuff to give it indestructible thinking that I'm it's it's a bait and switch type of play if you're limited on the path to exiles and whatnot to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Another option that he has as a curator, if he was my opponent and he was coming at me, if he was going to do the right thing, he would take Yahini and sacrifice it to weaponize the monsters for one red <laughs> enchantment, pay two, sacrifice a creature, weaponize the monster deals two damage to any target. That is a engine piece that's much more fair. Oh, absolutely more c- fair. In comparison to Goblin Bombardment, but also doesn't do the loops and what we need for the persist combo to work. So yeah. whereas Yahini, Carrion Feeder, and Goblin Bombardment play into the persist combo as we roll up into it. But yeah, you need a free I sacrifice. Will also add- that mm-hmm. even though flickering stuff does not actually remove it, it does remove the counter. So if Absolutely. it gets too big, then they could just deal with it that way. Mm-hmm. So things like flicker wisp coming in at around the same time is a big deal. But I also want to add the fact that I completely forgot about skin render in your environment. Yep. So if skin render comes down literally the turn after, it can completely mess up beyond also the, and, and any bounce effect uh does get gets rid of the counters too as well yeah so that th- 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 that also helps it's not untargetable There's, it just is harder to deal with 
Yes, it is harder to deal with, but I don't think that it is a bad thing, considering it doesn't actually power itself up. Yeah, and also the the power band at Peasant's weird. It's like a lot of the really good cards start happening around four. Three and Mm -hmm. four is where where stuff like Yeheni exists and everything. And one of the hardest things I've had with this this cube is getting aggro to really work well. Because there's so many things like Whirler Rogue that just make things awful for for the uh for the the aggro player because they make all these little one power creatures that deal with your little x ones you know which is considered one of the most powerful cards in a peasant environment oh it is it absolutely and also you got flame tongue cavu coming down at four you got all these different ones that yeah but what i think is interesting is what we drilled down there is while the card on paper, I went with the dies to removal argument as yeah, we did and we broke it down, <laughs> but there's a lot of divergent strategies as may and I, we've all kind of broke down also to deal with not the source of the problem, but all the things around it to deactivate it. Yeah. Right. So you can shut down the engine per se. Yeah, Cause it's you, not you, the ideal mm-hmm. outcome, especially if they've got like a blood artist, you are right. taking pain to make these decisions, but those are the correct decisions. Yeah. But hopefully they have to sacrifice the blood artist to, yeah. to save you. Any, and yeah. maybe they won't do that i don't know force the decision force the outcome yeah. that's that's how you're going to break it but we'll know with more data but in our group we've seen this go around it's just different it's a different mindset of beating that card and i i think i've got it figured out i believe you do as well others will learn this because it's a meta that's going to be built because mm-hmm. this card does have the potential with it being rarely downshifted to perhaps build a little bit of meta around it right have to as we said play around yeah. these type cards and that's what's interesting with a rarity restricted type cube especially with downshifts would you mind moving down to the next group? And we're going to go into, we, I picked out some pieces of sure. fodder, right? We've kind of covered the engine components, you know, the Zulaport cutthroats and all the things that did the painting, right? And the next thing we did was kind of the sack outlets. But would you mind going over, Chris, some of these really interesting choices? I picked weird ones on, intentionally that I thought played into the fodder. These are going yeah. to, they're going to work clocking in and they're going to die. Well, yeah, the first one is a classic. It's been around a long time, and a lot of people know it. It's the, the reassembling skeleton. Uh costs one and a black for a 1-1 one, one for a skeleton warrior, and doesn't have any abilities except this one where you can return it from the graveyard to the battlefield tap by playing a one and a black. What I really like about a uh, reassembling skeleton in here is that having it in the same environment as gut is terrifying. The fact that a realistic curve could look like something turn one uh, reassembling skeleton and then immediately gut on turn three is horrifying. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> yes. It, and reassembling skeletons have been in there since day one, uh, just because I've always wanted there to be an aristocrats package in this cube. And uh, when design mistakes early on were things like skull clamp and uh, it was absolutely disgusting with that uh, skull clamp got cut shortly after somebody pulled that off. And, and you know uh, what? Our friend Carrion Feed is looking at reassembling skeleton and saying, hey, it's free real estate. You Thank are you a very plus much. one plus one counter, <laughs> basically. You're reassembling skeleton? Okay, I'll sacrifice it to make a plus one plus uh-huh. one counter. That's right. <laughs> okay, we're moving on to the next card in our analysis of Samich's Peasant Cube. And this one is a bit of a favorite of mine. And the reason is because I have like the weird, like, art of it and i just decided to throw it in a in a deck one day and it was fun 
And that's really all the criteria that I need sometimes to really love a card. And this one is Lagomos, Hand of Hatred. This is one colorless, one black, one red for a legendary creature, Human Shaman. At the beginning of combat on your turn, create a 2-1 red elemental creature token with Trample and Haste. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step, which I will not do because I've already sacrificed it to Carrion Feeder. And then you can tap and search your library for a card, put it into your hand, then shuffle. Activate only if five or more creatures died this turn. That's a pretty hefty requirement. But you're getting a 1-3 three for 3 that's generating 3-1s that are attacking, causing some pressure. Sorry, 2-1, um, not a 3-1. You're getting 2-1 creatures each turn that you're being able to attack with. They have Trample. They have Haste. You can sacrifice them to your Carrion Feeder. High pressure card, a lot of power, a lot of pace with a card like this. And this is why I love a card like this so much. Yeah, that card's been great ever since I put it in. It's another one of those uh, great... Rectos is full of signpost cards for this type of of thing. Uh, Archetype. I run this in the Munson Cube, not because I'm really supporting anything except for it's just sick and metal as AF, right? (laughs) It's got chains. It's full Uh, Rectos. It's it's literally the cover that I'm going to grab at the record store for no reason. Mm -hmm. May, I think Rally would be in your wheelhouse. Do you mind covering this card? So the next one is Rally at Hornburg, which is one in a red sorcery. Create two 1-1 white human soldier creature tokens, and then humans you control gain haste until end return. What a good card. Mm-hmm. The fact that you are making two one one bodies that immediately come in with haste is huge. Yeah, th- this is one of the best of these type of cards. And there have been a bunch of these throughout the... Throughout, most of them make goblins. One of them makes a dinosaur and a human. It's a, it's a forever... French, friends forever or something. I can't remember what it is. Yeah. But th- this one's the best because it gives the, the tokens have haste. It's it's fantastic. So I when I saw this was printed, this went both in pauper and peasant quite quickly. What I love about cards like this is with an aristocrat, we'll just say a blood artist, it's sitting back doing mm-hmm. nothing. It's watching the game happen. These type of cards are putting pressure from that haste. They have to, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. There's no positive outcome here. Right. You're going to take the one if you don't want to block it, or you're going to take the one on the backfield if you did. Mm-hmm. So I love those type of pressure cards within Aristocrats package. And I, that's why I picked this unique package. There's a lot mm-hmm. of cannon fodders. Oh, yeah, of, yeah. There's a lot of mixed goblins. There's all these things that are common to list, but I wanted to pick out some of these cards that I felt were more interesting and a little bit more unusual that maybe peasant curators had perhaps overlooked. So the the next one we'll talk about, or the the final one in this one, is Oketra's Monument. This is one, it's been around for a while, I think Amonket, or I, I believe so. Uh, but for, for three mana, you get a legendary artifact, and it's a white, it's basically considered a white card, because it makes white creature spells cost one less, and whenever you cast a creature spell, you get a 1-1 one, one white warrior creature token with vigilance. And uh, this is great, a great little token engine, and also it just makes all your white spells cost less, so it's it's been wonderful. You don't have to be in white to get the benefit because you can cast any creature spell to get the uh, the token just nice sacrifice fodder for your uh, carrying feeder as Stu has pointed out i hear this is judith's least favorite card in the entire cube though Ba-boom. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's go over i really wish i could make the cricket sound <laughs> <laughs> okay sorry about that so 
that's kind of a very top level, and there's a lot. And I really encourage the listeners to look at Sandwich's list, which I'll share in the show notes. I know he's got you got a lot of followers already, right? Yeah, yeah. And people have now had exposure to how amazing this cube is at KubeCon 2023. And as he said, he had a lot of player feedback. We're looking for the actual photographs to give more, et cetera. But that is kind of the top level gist of the aristocrats as far as the engine piece. But what's so neat about aristocrats is like you said, it's kind of peanut butter and jelly with this next one, this high level, high tier package that he has. Chris, would you mind explaining what goes so well, meshes so well with aristocrats? Yeah, it, it, it's the persist combo basically. And what the way it works is you basically have a creature with persist. And when a creature with persist dies, it comes back from the graveyard with a negative one, negative one counter and it does its ETB again. So the creatures usually have an etb and then they'll come back do the etb again but this time they have the counter and if they die with the counter they can't come back well the way you break that is you put a creature in that can add a plus one plus one counter to them when they enter the battlefield and therefore removing that minus one minus one counter so you can just keep basically infinitely sacrificing yeah you're just resetting them and this has been done in you know in constructed formats i think and everything like that i i don't really pay attention to those as much but the reason I put this in here is just, it, it's a fun little achievement as far as I'm concerned, because it's really hard to do in this. There's not really any tutors short of Lagamos, I guess, if you have five creatures die, which can happen with right. this combo, but that's assuming you have the combo out already. But it's, like you said, it's a way to break stalemates. Uh, it's just an, a really neat build. And if you can assemble it, it's like putting together this nice puzzle that uh, you've been able to, because it takes, you have to have a the persist card. You have to have a card that gives plus one, plus one. Then you have to have a free sack outlet. And then uh, you have to have... Ideally an yeah. aristocrat. Ideally an aristocrat to, to, to get, help Unless help it has a built-in, it. Yeah. a built-in like punisher effect. Because not all of them do. We'll talk uh, yeah. about some of those. Mm-hmm. But the, the gist is, is that it breaks stalemates. And I, I realize the creatures in your environment aren't vanilla they're not even hardly french vanilla anymore no, we've talked about no, power there's very few of that but there was definitely a time where when we talked about this in a previous episode where i built my first iteration of a popper cube and it was hot garbage but that was creature versus creature in combat where nothing could get over right king of the hill and eventually yeah. something would bleed over and that's how you'd win a game but even with your high density of 50 percent of the cube as creatures there is that potential of two armies locking horns and no way to go. Uh-huh. And having something like this, in my mind, not only unlocks the Johnny Ginny mind and allows them an avenue to express themselves, yes. it also stops stalemates. Like, that's what I meant by that, is if you're sitting around, you can't move forward, I can't kill you with combat damage, you won't let me through, and vice versa. If I can just sit back and pull off these components, I can go infinite and do a thing, right? Yeah. Which is really weird in a rarity-restricted cube. It, it is, but like I said, you need... You need several pieces to, to make this work. And I did hear about someone at KubeCon doing it. And they uh, liked it. Yeah, and they loved it. it they was, said they had a good time. It was a good friend, Nick's brother, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? Pulled it off. Uh, shout out to Necroid, right? That's right, yes. One of our Patreons. But either way, it's it's something that inspires people. It's it's kind of a – it's not necessarily the aha because it's a known entity, a yeah. known quantity. Mm-hmm. But I think it gives a lot of flavor, something more depth to this type of environment. May, what are your thoughts on pushing these type of strategies in a rarity-restricted cube? So what I love about this strategy, and for context, the persist combos are probably some of my favorite combos in Magic. Like, in terms of just, like, one to three card combos. Because in Limited, they are very draftable. 
I am not going to feel bad picking a murder sword cap just on its own. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to feel bad taking a Grumgully on its own. But if I can get both, then we're cooking. Mm-hmm. And that's what we love to see. And I disagree. It does create aha moments because even though all these cards are playable on their own, it's not an aha moment until you start seeing the other pieces in the packs. That's when it becomes the aha moment of, oh, I can make this deck now. Yes, it, it and it's really great when someone does figure that out. And as and unfortunately, our meta is they all know about it. So what'll happen is they'll see a piece of it and, and draft it so no one can do it. Yeah, because they don't <laughs> they don't want to die to yep. it. Classic. So, so that, even that actually has happened a lot. <laughs> even if you're hating these components out, May brought up a good point, and we're gonna go over these cards as individuals, but. They're standalone, and they actually do other form and function as well. So they're not trap cards. They're not. Right. Par- they're not parasitic in any way. They're just value engines. And if you, it's a sum of the pieces. If you pull it together, then you have a complex engine. But you don't need the engine. May I cannot, in good conscience, steal the first card from you because it would be wrong. It's Grumgully. <laughs> Grumgully the generous is one red green legendary goblin shaman three three. Each other non-human creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. And the reason why you're mentioning it is because it's in my fake cube. There you go. And I drafted <laughs> so, it. <laughs> it's so good. The, the thing about Grumgully and Murderous Sword Cap is I was extremely close to putting them in the fake cube. I was so tempted to do it. Right. It's not that I feel like that the fake cube doesn't have answers for it or it would be too oppressive there. It is more of the fact that I don't want to deal with negative one, negative one counters. In that that makes sense. That's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> but you, like, oh. <laughs> you mentioned uh, murderous red cap. I think this is a favorite of Stu's. So I'm gonna go ahead and have that one. This isn't a fantastic yes. card. This is a favorite of mine because it's a combo piece. It's a three card combo piece with the right cards that Absolutely. I don't think you're going to find in this cube. But uh, either way, great card. So Murderous Red Cap, two colorless, and then one black red, one black red uh, for a creature goblin assassin. When Murderous Red Cap comes into play, it deals damage equal to its power to target a creature or player and has persist, and it's a 2-2. Two, two. Strong. Yes. Even on its own, it does things. It, you know what it's great things. Mm-hmm. Sacking twice to carry and feeder. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's referring to World Gorger, isn't he? The that combo piece where you World Gorger's with Enemy uh, Dead, and it just makes infinite. Yeah, and then you do uh, mur- uh, and then murderous red cap, and you go back and forth. Isn't that the one you do with? That's your payoff. I mean, it, it it's can be, I guess, because it comes back yeah, in. Yeah, it can be. be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're definitely not going to find yeah. that here. But yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, no. three, it's the three pieces. Yeah. The You'll next find one, Anime Dead, but you won't find The next one, I'm going to throw a curveball <laughs> at May. It's not so much. I know we talked, about, we talked about this. You're a huge fan of unicorns, and I didn't look at your list before I drafted it. And I'd Am like to I know. Am I a huge fan of unicorns? Well, you, one in particular, unicorn. And did you add this next one? No, it's not in the fake cube. Aw, oh, boo. Good fortune unicorn for one colorless and one green and one white. You get a creature unicorn, 2-2. Two, two. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a 1-1 one, one counter on that creature. Very much like Grumgully-ish, but not restrictive. Yeah. And then they really play into this beautiful Naya package where you're just doing 1-1 one, one counters. It's yep. a value engine on that alone, right? Yes. It's, that's what's so neat about these components. Because there is a plus one, plus one counter theme in, in the cube itself. So it works pretty well with these. These are really nice in that Naya package. 
So you had the loneliest unicorn in the Fey Cube, May, and you decided, uh, we talked about this one before, did, which one did you stick with? Uh, I ended up cutting all the unicorns, unfortunately. Boo. I need to put a unicorn <laughs> back in. I was thinking Lathiel. So the next one, uh, it's I still run this in my Empowered Vintage yeah, Cube. I think it's still Would you mind taking this away from me? Yeah, this is the classic Kitchen Finks. This is one and for green-white hybrid and green-white hybrid. You get an oof, which is a, a great creature type. I, I love just to Except say Except an artifact, uh, apparently. <laughs> right. Well, when, when it collects things, it's pretty bad. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> But it, it's a 3-2 uh, oof, and uh, when it comes into play, you just you gain two life, and it has persist. And yes, this can gain you infinite life. Does it actually end the game? Not really with this combo, but it's kind of neat in, in that respect. Keep you alive basically forever. But it's also good against just the regular aggro just on its own. It's a nice little sideboard card oh, yeah. against that or just a main deckable card because it'll survive against all that. There's Fair actually use a, this to trade and then gain another two life is yep. fantastic. It trades up really well being a three power creature too. I actually love that this has the creature type oof because that's a sound that I make every time Anthony tells me that it's still in his oof. power cube. Um, <laughs> you know, not to get onto the vintage thing, but I can't uh, remember if anyway, it's in my moving on. <laughs> oh, bring back Oko. Okay. So this next one we have will surprisingly play into a portion of a combo as well, which I'll cover. It's Putrid Goblin. Mm -hmm. And if you're asking yourself, why would that be? It's one colorless and one black. You get a 2-2 creature, zombie goblin. Uh, They do come back, apparently. Persist. And that's whenever this creature comes back, or whenever it dies, if it had no negative one encounters on it, that's the uh, reminder text. Return it to the battlefield under its owner's control with a negative one counter on it. Kind of plays in what we're talking about here. So, if you were to use this, for example, with Goblin Bombardment in combination with Grum Gully the Generous in combination with the Putrid Goblin, you've got an infinite loop there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Infinite sack triggers yeah. to keep throwing the Goblin Bombardment, and that's where those freeze come online and they do a lot of action. That's a nice... So, it's a three-piece combo that I'll mm-hmm. be hunting now in That's this okay. queue on the regular. It's no, and someone's going to keep hate drafting it from you. Don't worry. It, it'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> this We got this from the Find My Combos from the Commander Spellbook. Oh, yeah. Which I mentioned before in previous episodes. I run with all of our guests. And this is the one that it came up immediately. The rest of them, there. whenever I ran your cube, there were an infinite amount of potential combos. Yeah, because they're missing, missing a one rare. card. Yeah, one yeah. card. <laughs> But there was an infinite amount of combos that you could pull off if you had one more card, but because they broke rarity restriction, they didn't quite do it. So I think that's something that curators should do with these type of environments too, these rarity restriction, is use that find my combos. And I always say reference our good friend ChillMTG's video that demonstrates how to use that tool, but it's the commander spell book. You can type that in and basically export your list out of cube cobra into a csv file copy paste and then it'll tell you if you want them this is what you need to add if you don't want them this is what you need to exclude it explains the combos as well too but that was the one that i did find that was three components not the typical four that we've ran across at this point right right but i thought it was interesting well that's okay i'm perfectly okay having this in there if someone does it awesome it will be me it It will be me sure (laughs) (laughs) Are we ready for the next curveball on my list? Oh, go for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So, I noticed that you have Scurry Oak on your list. Mm-hmm. Another combo you... piece. It I, can I, be, but that's I what I was going to I think you're going to ask about to. a specific card, and I've specifically excluded that white card. The one... <laughs> 
I don't know if that's the one you're asking about, but go ahead. No. Okay. <laughs> I said I was going to say, have you considered that people might misread Scurryoak, which actually leads perfectly into my point, which both of you happen to prove, is that when people see it, are they going to draft it for what it is, or are they going to draft it with the intention of comboing with it? So Scurryoak is a two in a green for a Treefolk 1-2 with Evolve. Which just means that whenever a creature enters the battlefield, if it has higher power or toughness, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. But whenever one or more plus one, plus one counters are put on Scurry Oak, you may create a 1-1 green squirrel creature token. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, there are two white cards. There are two cards. Sorry. There is Ivy Land Denzen, which is one of the combo pieces. There was also this white card that's a combo piece and then another colorless card that's a combo piece. But point is, is that when you have... This plus another piece that puts a plus one plus one counter back onto it, then it becomes a combo piece. And it's mm. what's become notorious in peasant spheres. Yeah. So I had this question in mind because when we see that, hey, the persist combo's in here, do you ever worry that even though that the persist combo is translated to, hey, this combo's here, do you think that the same transfers to Scurry Oak? I have thought about this uh this you're actually the first person to ever ask about scurry oak um and it's because i've considered putting in that that white card that you're talking about she's from the the lord of the rings set uh whenever Uh, gosh it was was the samwise his wife i can't remember her name unfortunately yeah i think Uh, it's rosie lane rosie it's rosie yeah it's rosie and uh because rosie i believe puts a counter on things when a when a creature when a creature or token enters the battlefield and then that just keeps you make infinite one ones basically and make your scurry oak as big as you want basically. And, um, I, I bought a Rosie thinking I might put it in, uh, but I didn't cause I did want to stay away from two card combos in, in this right. cube. Cause that's just, it's too easy. in, in my opinion, uh, for that. Yeah, yeah, and, definitely. yeah. And it hasn't come up yet that someone has been looking for it yeah um i just and a lot of that might have to do with our meta because a lot of them may not know about it or are you know aware of it were you not aware of it Anthony? no i definitely was aware. okay you're aware of it all right but uh yeah i I definitely knew about it and i even picked up a nice foil of it and everything i was i stared at it for a while and i was like i I can't do this i'm okay with that like to be clear (laughs) i don't think that the combos belong in here at all no i yeah and i 100 percent think it's playable on its own but yeah that's just the consideration that we have to make as curators of course, is, yes. is this giving the right signal and currently right now it's just kind of a little value engine that can right. make little one ones you can if it slots into the plus one plus one counter theme that's in the cube and as that kind of a piece it is in no way overpowered it just does right. a thing and does it fairly well and but with and if someone does ask, I'll let them know there's no combo with this. Uh, but so far, you're you're literally the first person to ask about it, which is, like you said, probably a good thing. So we're kind of moving over. We've tied off the aristocrats and persist and how you, as a peasant, rarity restricted curator, can add these two different packages and have them work with complete synergy, actually, right? Yeah. And have the components be standalone so you don't have to worry about using... And I'm not a big fan of the word toxic or what's the word I'm looking for? No, um, I'm not adding any toxic because I don't want to infect. I'm not a fan of words or cards that are trapped because a lot of times the Jenny Johnnies are looking for synergy components yeah. 
Whereas these cards do, in fact, provide that. Do you have any thoughts on that, Stu? I actually wanted to give a quick shout-out. We do this from time to time um, when there's a new set being released. And there is right now, Lost Caverns of Ixalan. And May mentioned about the limited amount of ways to remove a certain indestructible creature <laughs> from the battlefield. Hollow May. So uh, here's, here's one for you. This is a new one from LCI. And it is... Eaten by piranhas, one colorless and a blue for an enchantment aura, has flash, enchant creature, enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a black skeleton creature with base power and toughness 1-1. So, turns it into great, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, fodder for carrion feeder. Of course. But, uh, you know. <laughs> Everything is no great fodder for carrion feeder. <laughs> Everything. Now, you see, I love, this is the attitude that I yep. love to see on the podcast. Everything is. Everything is great fodder. For carrion feeder, you They're all plus some plus some counters to that zombie. <laughs> <laughs> that cannot block. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, who cares if it becomes a 6-6? Six, six? Who cares if it can't block? So I want to ask you a question. So what was your overarching idea or thoughts of KubeCon 2023? I mean, what was, oh, it was, was a blast. Your first it was really fun. I the, the best part was just meeting all the different people. I really just enjoyed. I enjoyed meeting May in person and actually getting destroyed by her in the, uh, in the, in the Live the Dream Cube. <laughs> that, that giant pig. I forgot about that. <laughs> but it was great. No, that was awesome. I had no problem with Illark. Yeah, I had no problem. It was it was awesome. It was really really fun, and I had a good time. (laughs) Shout out to McDarby. Oh, absolutely. That that was great. That cube was awesome. Don't don't feel bad. You're not the only person that got completely ruined by (laughs) Illhog the Raised War, and that was Christian. Completely wrecking me. Um, I think we were playing our, our good friend Bill's Cube. The two had a giant cube, perhaps. No, 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 it was Bill's cube. It was Christian with Bill's cube, and he just completely annihilated me. So, brother, I'll give you a little fist bump there. (laughs) Uh, Brethren for life for getting wrecked by Ilhog. Oh, yeah. Ilhog buddies. Definitely don't mind. Don't mind losing that way. It's okay. Not at all. <laughs> you also mentioned too that uh, there were a lot of personalities and celebrity, and how welcome you were telling. Yeah, me it was really nice. Like- yeah, they everyone. I mean, of course, they're just all people, but it was really nice to just meet them and have them be so welcoming, so, so easy to talk to. It was wonderful. Yeah, Stu is pretty easy to talk to. No, then, no, no, that's the opposite. Stu's, <laughs> Stu's the opposite of that. So <laughs> we've also shown in this episode when we're having a little bit of fun here is that the aristocrats and persist combo are quite okay to add to your peasant environments. We're going to see what CubeCon 2023 and the pictures say, right? Because we did get that they were powerful. That was the feedback from the room. Now we need the data because I want to see the comprehensive amount of decks that actually had a high win rate with this because even the persist combo, we got some one-offs. Yeah, that's neat. That's really cool. Shout out to Nick's brother that did the thing. If it wasn't you, but aristocrats curious to see if it, and we want to know about, I want to, we're going to ask about Yahini and what the experience was from the players specifically that drafted it because Chris is looking for that active feedback. So Mm -hmm. if you have that, Throw that up on our Discord. Join it, it. Throw it up. And then also it would be really cool. Next level is if you could join our Discord, moving past that part, add it to Stu's Deck Boast channel, right? Because we want to see these decks so we can analyze. It's not, at this point, it's not to be braggadocious. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's for us as curators to see, to have a library to reference, right? Because oh, yeah. we want to see these feature cubes and know what worked, what didn't work. That's always the challenge, right? Because we talked about it. We're in a, just like with every other play group, 
Mays included, we're in a vacuum, right? And then we expose Mm -hmm. ourselves to players that look at things from different level. When you talked about like scurry oak and all these things, right? Maybe there's a player that saw the thing and was looking for that signal and that might be their feedback that where's this other component, right? Yeah. Where's Rosie? Yeah. Where's Rosie? Everybody's Mm -hmm. always wondering where Rosie's at. Exactly. Yeah. And Jason's going to be really ashamed that it took you so long to reference was it Bill Bogue Baggins' wife or whoever it was his wife? It was from S- Sam Wise Sam- Sam- wife. See, I don't yeah. read these books, but our good friend Jason's like been talking about he spent so much money on the Lord of the Rings set. He even messaged us today that someone's <laughs> got to stop me that when he hears this episode, Jason, I want your feedback. <laughs> but, but. Fun build arounds. That's what this really comes down to. Yeah. Right? And I, these are some of my, my favorite ways to draft. I, personally have tried to get that persist combo but it just hasn't quite come together and it's been in there for a long time too and i just just it just doesn't happen like i said our group hate drafts like crazy when it comes to certain things we want to go (laughs) ahead again and say a extra special thanks to everyone who joined kubecon 2023 and those who specifically drafted mace fake cube Uber Bears, Horror Cube, and Artifact Cube, mine, and then Chris's Sandwiches Peasant Cube. And then we're really looking forward as curators to getting the feedback. The uh, Gwen Decker's uploading the photographs over the weekend, mm-hmm. working on it now. It's just nice to get that data as something that we don't oftentimes get outside of our, you know, insulated playgroups, rather. So it's really cool to get that live active feedback from other players that are thinking differently. And then I want to say thank you to all the organizers and the the, the people who put seven, eight months plus into getting KubeCon to work. And they're already starting to talk about it now. And that'd be people like John from Coltic Cube, John Terrell, and Zelda Zach, and Parnell, and David McDarby, and Corey, and Jay Bro, and then all of the special guests that showed up like Jamie Topples and Pleasant Kenobi and all these people that showed up that were really pleasant and welcoming and just wanted to promote the cube community, right? The cube community. Yeah. It's, it's a really big deal. And having all the pros that showed up, right? That was yep. a big deal. That was deal. awesome. It was yep. a big deal because while they were there to win it, they were also like super nice to walk up to and talk to. These yep. are people sometimes you just read about in articles. Or you see them on YouTube and that's all you, that's all you ever see. Such a unique yeah. event, right? So I would highly, highly recommend anybody that was on the fence or those feeling the FOMO, to come to KubeCon 2024. There's no reason not to. Start saving. It's the (laughs) best magic event ever. It was the most chill event, the most just just relaxed. It was really nice. Even though people were there for to compete, it was still awesome that everyone was very welcoming and just able to you're able to talk to anybody it was great even the people you're playing against you know they it, they turn it on during the game but after the game it you know everyone's just just laughing and having a good time it and was great thank you to all the judges man this Absolutely. is like one of the most massive concentrated group of judges ever and it's fantastic <laughs> i don't think so oh <laughs> I, it is there were so many of them floating around the room at least that's what i believe right okay. that's in my you world, can believe my that. world. Yes. But i'm making my own facts as we go along mm-hmm. but either way they were fantastic I will say as well, this year, different food from last year, I definitely made the effort last year to do at least a couple of drafts in the main event each day. There was, I definitely finished in the top 100 or 150 last year, which was probably 
a little easier because there was only like 167 people last year. <laughs> uh, and this year I finished 412th, I want to say, out of 416. I did only draft one cube and dropped after two games. So I'm, I'm going to give myself a pass on that one. But the reason why I wanted to mention that is because I did plan on doing some more of the main cube drafts. And I would definitely encourage anyone who's planning and who didn't go to the KubeCon 23 or 2022, I will definitely encourage anyone who has a love and a passion or even just an interest of Cube to sign up for the main event, sign up for the cubes that they that look interesting to them, all kinds of thematic and high power and all, the whole spectrum of cubes is incredibly fascinating. But for someone who may be a little bit apprehensive and just maybe doesn't want to be hardcore competitive in the cube environment and just wants to go along and just play more casually, there is an option to go there and just kind of hang out at the event, meet some people. There's tons of cubes that are firing across all the days of the event where you can just go and hang out with people. Lots and lots of people bring cubes and you can just go to the free play area, hang out, draft some really, really amazing cubes, even draft some of the cubes probably that were in the main event. And again, just meet some of the community and just have a good time. And other than that, we're moving to the socials. I want to start out by saying thank you to everybody that drafted our cubes. That's Absolutely. just going to be part of it. That's just that's worth its weight in gold to oh. curators. And if you love the show, we would truly appreciate a five star review on your favorite player. Uh, Ubercube is also a affiliate with Alter Sleeves. If you use our code, which will be included in the show notes as well as the Buzzsprout and all the major players, you can get five percent off your purchase. Alter Sleeves, I believe Chris has Alter Sleeves on some of his. Some of those we were mentioning before, you can't get a yeah. foil of XYZ card, right? Or the foil costs several thousand dollars. So this yeah. is an option to bling out your cube for those certain things that you're looking for, like necromancies and whatnot that don't mm-hmm. have a printing that's in foil. Yep. And if you want to support the show, please use our Inked Gaming affiliate. And then one of the coolest pictures that we took at KubeCon is where everybody hung out, myself and May and Chris and Stu and all of us, and we rolled out all of our UberCube mats, covered <laughs> the table. It was pretty sick, right? Those mm-hmm. are absolutely gorgeous. And the printing and the sleeving, May's talked about. The Inked Gaming mat is pretty great. I really love the stitching on the edges. That really helps prevent the fraying. It's just a high-quality purchase. I have two Inked Gaming mats because I've actually gotten one before I got the Ubercube one. Nice, nice, nice. And you can also find us at Twitter at Ubercube MTG Pod. We're highly active on there. You can reach us at Ubercube MTG Podcast at gmail.com. And you can link us on Discord. Find us on hashtag Ubercube. I don't think they do hashtag anymore, but you get the point. And then what's really cool is I am one of the, uh, I keep calling myself an associate admin of the MTG Cube drafting site where there's well over 700 members in there now where everybody's actively doing like pack one, pick ones. Hey, mm-hmm. what do you think of this card? Hey, I've got this cube idea. It's a very welcoming environment. So if you don't do those other social medias and heck, if, if you're even not like, a person that loves Facebook. I use Facebook exclusively for this page now. It's wonderful. And it's just, it's something that I'm, it's a passion project for me that I help take care of. And then we've got moderators like Jay Bro, et cetera, that's on there helping out. And it's just wonderful and well, a welcoming page. So if you're looking for another outlet, there you go. And then I want to go ahead and say, if you want to support the show, we have a Patreon. It's not a meme, <laughs> but I want to say thank you to some of our 
patrons, including our most recent Nicholas Lapointe, also Stephen Conifal, Preston, and Sam McKinnon. Thank you all. Preston, we are working on your episode still. It is complicated, but I promised I'll work on it. And then other than that, we're going to say the thing that we always say here at Cube is happy, happy cubing. cubing.